Hurry into Mattress Firm's best Memorial Day sale ever. Get a king bed for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin and save up to $500 on Sealy. Plus, get a free adjustable base with qualifying Sealy purchases up to a $4.99 value. Or shop Tempur-Pedic, the most highly recommended bed in America, and save up to $500 on adjustable mattress sets in stock for immediate delivery. And get a $300 instant gift. Talk to a sleep expert today. Only a Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details. Hello there, listeners. This is Jim the Keys, bartender, coming to you from Key Largo. A momentarily drying out Key Largo. It is going into July 4th weekend. And I hope everyone stays safe out there. We'll talk a little about the traditions of the 4th of July, which are confound me how we get into those things. But... For now, I'd like to say hello to some of our listeners. Uh, I got a lovely note from Todd in Gettysburg. The family made it home safely. Uh, that's uh, Todd, Deb, and Maylin, his daughter. And uh, I just want to send a personal message. When you stopped me in the parking lot, I went in to tell them I was going to be a couple more minutes. That's all I did. So I went and saw my dog, Roxy, and let her out and I uh, came back in but I'm always happy to visit with a listener and uh, I'm sorry that you had such uh, you ran into all the traffic but you made it in time to to, uh, Fort Lauderdale to make your trip back yes and I kind of enjoy the bachelor routine when the girls are away but I really don't do much more than be I'm just alone more since I stopped drinking uh, this time about a year and a half ago. I, I I don't frequent the places. I mean, I can. I've gone there last Tuesday. I did a live show from my place. I may do another one this Tuesday and Thursday. It is. You get kind of in the dumps when my girls are away. But I have purpose. I have the podcasts to fill my life and I have you listeners it gives me more purpose and I do appreciate it I do appreciate that you're listening I appreciate the where the listeners coming from uh, you know that you happen across the show I, I appreciate listeners in all the different countries in India Taiwan Russia uh, some European Poland Though, you know, not so much in the United Kingdom or Ireland, which I understand. I don't know. There's a great show on Netflix called Frank of Ireland. And it stars the son of the famous Irish actor Brendan Gleeson. And it's Dom Hall Gleeson. And I don't know what the other son's name is. The one that's the star of it, the one that plays Frank, is the is a son of Brendan Gleeson, the the friend of Mel Gibson and Braveheart in the beginning, the one where they had the stone, they throw big rocks at each other, and, and Mel Gibson picks up a, a you know smaller rock and hits him right between the eye and knocks him down. But that is a funny ass show, and I figure you guys aren't. I guess maybe I'm just not fun, funny to Irish people, just because I am 
because I guess I'm a creature of the American culture right now or United States culture. And they, other people may not find it funny. So that's the nice thing about podcasting. There's certain things. There's probably certain idiosyncrasies when I'm not trying to be funny. You may find me funny. And when I'm trying to be funny, you may just be turned off by it. But we're not talking about that right now. You notice in the title of the show, it's called Great Expectations. That's going to be a little later, but I can tie it in with the first one. A lot of times when people come into the restaurant, they are indecisive about what they're going to have to drink. Because when I go up to them, say, what can I get you? I usually, as a bartender, the first thing I want to get you is a libation. And a libation or beverage or refreshment, whatever you want to call it, it could be a glass of water, it could be soda, it could be milk. You don't get a lot of milk at the bar. That that you know, if someone ordered a tall glass of milk, that would be probably be kind of that'll be a first for me. Some say I just want a tall glass of milk. No no one ever comes in and asks for that. Uh, that's me. I know there's bartenders that listen that have it, but other people come up. And they'll ask, uh, what was a Wednesday night? We had some people come in. It was a little, it was raining. We had some downpours that came in. And our parking lot is not very good, uh, very good. (laughs) It's great. But the parking lot got filled up with vehicles and no one wanted to park across the street. It's not a big street. We're not talking about the highway. We're talking about the side street here. It's only about 30 feet wide. All right, if that but people want to park close to the door because, you know, they're afraid of getting wet. And they come into AC and it gets real chilly. So that Wednesday night, this, um, just sidetrack, I'm going to get back to the drink thing. This big ass monster truck comes up and it backs into the handicapped space. It backs into the handicapped space right up to the door. They park about three feet away from the front door where... If you were opening the door, you start making it a little tight between you and the truck. And I was waiting for people to come in and they backed in, which I thought was kind of interesting because they probably thought, and this is where I'm projecting an idea, that they wanted to hide if they had a handicap sticker. But I watched everyone that came in. It was a young man and then a young woman. And then I said to him, I said, hey, listen, does, do you, do you have a handicap plates or a handicap sticker? And they go, no, he likes to park. And I, before she could even finish where, you know, he likes to park. I didn't want to hear the part. He wants to park close or he doesn't, you know, want to walk in the rain and all that stuff. I'm sorry, but that one handicap space in front of the building is meant for people with handicap issues or disabled I should say disabled but that's old school right that stuff so they said that he doesn't like to and heard that doesn't like I said well either way he has to move and they moved and they were sitting at the table and I had some regulars come in they just moved into the neighborhood but I knew them for years the neighbors that were 
at the bar when the woman that was a young woman that was with the guys comes up and she asks me, what would you suggest to drink? And I go, whiskey. She, she didn't tell me anything about herself. I had no guess. So, and I didn't want to be stereotypical and just say, hey, how about a glass of wine or a fruit punch or, you know, a rum punch or something like that. So I went for the hard stuff. You got to give me a little clue, right? What you'd like. <clears throat> so she, she ended up, what did she end up drinking? She ended up drinking, a, I think, a beer or a wine. She ended up drinking a wine, a Cabernet. <laughs> After all that, what would you suggest? When people come in, especially tourists, they come and say, and they, the, when the first question is, may I see the drink menu? It tells me, it gives me a clue into the, a little insight into what that person is. Now, if someone's drinking a lot and they're over drinking and they know exactly what, that does not give me a clue whether they have a drinking problem or not. Because there's all sorts of things. People that don't have drinking problems sometimes drink a lot when they're on vacation or they're under a lot of stress. So I'd have to know them a lot better to you know, know if they have issues with their drinking. But when someone asks for a drink menu and they can't come up with an idea and they don't have any questions, it gives me a little clue that that person most likely doesn't have drinking issues. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible for someone that drinks technically, we used to call back in Philadelphia, girly drinks. Right? They're not girly drinks. It's frou-frou drinks, actually. Frou-frou drinks. And girls, some girls and some guys don't drink frou-frou drinks. And some girls and some guys drink hard stuff. Like straight vodka. And, uh, and don't be involved with the Jamesons and pickle juice. If you, get, if you need a pickle juice in order to drink a Jameson, then there also you may not have a drinking problem. Because I could drink, I have no problem drinking Jameson. And I don't have to drink a pickle, uh, pickle juice to do that. It's called a pickleback. So when someone asks for a drink menu, I know that they don't have a overriding urge to have a drink right away because they're foregoing that. They're foregoing the order. They're going to say, well, I'm going to look at the menu first to see if there's something I like on there. To see what it, I could go in for. And when someone orders a frozen drink, that doesn't, that doesn't make it inconclusive that you don't have a drinking problem. But it does take you further away from that point. At least in my eyes. And then when people come up, you have heard this in the past, when someone asks, well, what drink would you suggest for me? And then I'd ask them in no ironic or joking way. I'll ask them, what's your favorite drink to have when you're not drinking? What's your favorite mixer? What's your favorite base liquor? What are your favorite? What kind of flavor profile are you looking for? Are you looking for something fruity, something a little burn into it, something with heat, something with that whiskey burn? Yeah, even though I don't drink, I do still do that. And then I get 
you know, the funny point of it where, uh, yeah, I, I rarely get people that come in and get all fucked up on those frou-frou drinks, but it does happen sometimes, right? But that doesn't, like I said, that doesn't automatically say you have a drinking problem. Well, recently, you have heard that we had a gentleman come in, and I'm not going to say his name, and but if they know him in the neighborhood, they know the guy's wife left him after a significant amount of time. And for about a week, he's he's walking distance away from the bar. He walks the back roads there, and he comes in. He kind of, the first time he came in, I wasn't going to serve him, but he told me he walked there, and he couldn't. He was just going to have a beer, and he drank like a less than a third of a beer. This is the guy I went and spoke to about taking him to AA. And at the end of the discussion, he said, now, mind you, this guy was only drinking beer until we, uh, until I spoke to him. And after I was done, he asked for two shots of Southern, Southern Comfort. And I thought, wow, that didn't fucking work, did it? And some of the people, I didn't mean it to be overheard, but some of the people around me that overheard the conversation when I was talking to him at a table and outside when I spoke to him another time, they came up to me and they saw me in a different light. And there was one of the regulars who, who comes in and drinks a lot. And he heard me and he, all that, you know, they, you know that I'm not a cocky person, that I just don't drink. And I don't look down on people that drink because I was the one that really abused it. I'm the one that really abused it. And then when it comes to drinking problems and things like that, yes, the legal profession and the law enforcement profession and the judicial profession, they may, or even a psychological profession, a mental health profession, medical profession, they may profile you as a problem, problem drinker. But the only person who really can profile you as a problem drinker is yourself. And that's the only one that works. Yeah, it's nice to have an intervention, if you've ever seen that show, Intervention. It's nice to have an intervention when you're, you're doing that stuff. And it's not nice while you're going through it, but, you know, when people tell you and you're not aware of it, because this will roll into the second to talk to you about, and it encompasses a lot of that. But if you're in a group that drinks a lot and you surround yourself by people, it's hard to tell if you have a drinking problem because you can't look over to left and right and say, well, I don't drink much different than they do and they seem to be doing okay. So what's wrong with me? And those people aren't going to tell you because if they tell you they think they have, they might have one. So that's the problem with hanging out with a group of with people that are heavy drinkers. It's really hard for one, one, not one of them most likely will tell you that. And you'd have to really be in touch with yourself as a heavy drinker to go and look at another heavy drinker and say, listen, you might have to, an issue. You might have an issue. I had a very good friend who we don't talk to as much before, and he insisted, and he was 
a heavy drinker, though not as heavy drinker as me, but he insisted that I can't drink bourbon. You just can't drink bourbon. Well, he didn't quite get it. Once I stopped drinking bourbon, I went to vodka. And if I couldn't have vodka, I would drink gin. And if I couldn't have gin, I'd drink rum. Or wine. Or IPAs. I go with IPAs because that's the kind of crossover for me. That's if you're going back, you know, and stuff like that. But this isn't the show about drinking. But after I did these things, one of my coworkers, uh, Molly, who's a, she's going into her sophomore year at Johns Hopkins University. She told me she had a dream. And I posted a picture on a, one of the episodes. I think one of the episodes in uh, the 460s. I posted a picture of a bus that was converted to a camper. But she had a dream that I was driving this bus, the short bus, a school bus. And I was driving down the road in Key Largo. Or She didn't necessarily say it was a short bus, but she said it was a, a bus. And... And I was driving a bunch of people around to an AA meeting. And I, I thought that's actually somewhat flattering that I would you know, be driving the bus to take people to be helped. But it, that would be kind of like saying I'd have a savior complex. And I don't have a savior complex because obviously I'm a bartender. If I, was a, if I had a savior bar, I would quit bartending and just... Go into work with alcoholics. I do work with that. I mean, I do work with some alcoholics. I don't know necessarily who is an alcoholic. I'm not that knowledgeable of their drinking. Only they can be knowledgeable of their drinking. But I thought that was nice imagery. And she, the girl that was dreaming that, said she was pushing a cart down the aisle serving coffee to everyone. And she mentioned some of the people that were on the bus. And I thought that was cute. But I did not, uh, the conversation I had with the guy that had the problem at the time and the one I wanted to take to a meeting, that conversation wasn't for me, that was for him. I didn't want uh, to have to necessarily have people overhear it or them to get any impression of me. And a lot of times, once again, when I tell people, about my past, I do that so I can avoid the uh, invites to go out drinking or people trying to buy me a drink and things like that. And another reason it makes me more uh, culpable or I'm keeping myself honest by telling these people so if they see me out, they see me doing it, they got, you know, I got eyes on me. Now, there's no reason right now, obviously with my wife away, for me to buy any liquor whatsoever. Because there's no one here to do it. Unless I was going over to someone's house. I may take over a a bottle of wine or a six-pack of beer or something like that. So, I'm going to continue to do that. I'm going to continue to do the things I want. I don't really, I rarely, I hadn't, gone to an in-person meeting in a long time so I was reluctant to to send someone there because I didn't know what was going on but I guess I should not be reluctant I should always be eager if someone 
is having a problem. Once they start crying, once you end up crying at the bar, once you end up crying at the bar and start telling me your problems and things like that, I, I'll ask some questions myself. And I say, is this the only time you've ever had a problem with alcohol? With this bump in your relationship right now? And how long has it been going on? But if they say it happens frequently, that they, I said, do you ever have other problems drinking or finding it hard to hold a drink? And they go, yeah, and you have a hard time stopping. Do you feel as if you'd like to be happier? I would tell them that. And I know that's kind of Key's bartending. You think I'd be celebrating that. But like I said, the alcohol companies are doing this now. Eventually, they're going to start showing on these commercials with wine and beer and liquor. And they're going to say, if you know anybody, they, they still do please drink responsibly. Right? Well, the next logical step is at the end of these commercials and say, if you know anybody has a problem, please ask them to see it, you know. Seek uh, medical or mental health uh, advice. That will eventually happen. Right? It's just like the cigarette companies putting the warning on the labels. You know, it could cause birth defects and shit like that. So, I put that... Did I put great expectations as a title or cognitive dissonance? Well... That rolls in greatly to my next subject, what we're talking about. It happens at the bar a lot, especially over the last four years, five years, or forever, really. We're very polarized right now. Politically, we're polarized over COVID-19. People get polarized over... Just think about... Instead of talking about politics, let's talk about sports. You know, there's hated franchises out there, like the Dallas Cowboys or the New York Yankees or basketball teams, right? They just, people hate them and they have a reason why they hate them. Their their reasons seem to be legitimate. For me, I disliked the Cowboys for the longest time because they were called America's team. And I said, what right did they have to call themselves America's teams? There's all the ball teams. They are not even the greatest team. They haven't won a, a Super Bowl or made a deep run into the playoffs for the longest time. How can you keep on calling yourself America's team? Boom. Slow down, Jim. There's nothing wrong with the Dallas Cowboys. There's no reason to have that feeling on it. And whenever I look at it, I look at the the owner of it, and I look at him as like the crypt keeper, let's say. And I'd start filling these imager, images of the players and the coach and this thing as being bad people. When they're actually not. They're the same as anybody else. They're the same as anybody else. And whenever I'd hear a story about them that reflected Badly, I'd seek out stories that would f- reflect badly on the Cowboys. And I wouldn't read the stories, the one that showed a positive reflection of the Cowboys. And I would just pick it out. And it was called, it's called confirmation bias. 
And I said, well, see, that guy's an asshole, and so is that guy's an asshole. Now, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. And you downplay, this is what I did, when the Philadelphia Eagles had Michael Vick as a quarterback, and he got caught doing horrible things with dogs in a dog fighting ring on one of his properties. I downplayed that and ignored it. And chose not to read those information. And and then there were people that were Cowboy fans that hated the Philadelphia Eagles. And that was their confirmation bias that Philadelphia Eagles are horrible. And their fans are horrible. Oh, yeah, their fans. The fans are the worst place in the world. You guys are assholes. Blah, 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 blah. Hmm. We're also the first place that instituted in Philadelphia having a courtroom and jail in this stadium which was to address the problem of abusive fans. Okay, I guess I shouldn't have thrown that in there, but I'm just saying people don't get the whole story. Like, I didn't get the whole story on that. And we do that enemies. We do that with other countries. Think about it. Allies, enemies, for the longest time, after World War II, the Soviet Union was the boogeyman. We could never show, most people would never take light of a positive story on the Soviet Union, right? Why? Because they were our enemy. They were looking to make the world communist. They had this thing called the domino theory. That's mean when certain series of governments start falling and becoming communist, they were looking to make the world communist. So everything that we heard about the Soviet Union was negative. And In the 50s, 60s, if you started writing a story or doing a news item on the radio or on television that was somewhat positive about the Soviet Union, you could be considered a lackey, a quisling, someone who was like a fifth columnist looking to bring down the United States. So everything we heard was negative stuff about the Soviet Union. Nowadays, it's China, Iran, Arabic countries, whoever the you know the prime boogeyman is, right? So it's easy to do. And we get that all the time, the things we hate. And we have to look outwards ourselves sometimes to do that. So what... The big thing is it's a cognitive dissonance. When it's hard to understand a problem and find a solution, let's call, let's pick one right now, climate change. Now, when the preponderance of evidence is that there's severe climate change occurring, and we know right now out west that's occurring, horrible. For God's sakes, they had the highest temperatures ever recorded in Portland and uh, Seattle. In the, you know, the high 100, 116, 117 degrees, temperatures you expect to see sometimes in Las Vegas. But we're talking about the Pacific Northwest. And because of the change of the air currents and things like that, because of who knows what, because we're talking about our, it it is climate though, 
And just because it snows big one summer, um, one winter, doesn't mean there is no climate change. We know that the, the, the hottest weather on record is the most recent years. And it's only been getting worse. And we know that hurricanes are getting more destructive. There's more activity. This year, as I speak, it's the earliest naming of an E weather system. The earliest form, one of the earliest formations of a hurricane, early July. And to this day, there's people that are denying it. And what is it? Why, why do they, why, why do they, you know smoking's bad. Why do you seek out the story about the person that's 100 years old that's still living and smokes every day? When you know most of the people that have it have lung problems. Because it, it's, that's the confirmation bias. They look for the one story, the one thing to be counter-indicative of the argument, of, of the preponderance of evidence. They look for the, like the freak snowstorm, the blizzard, the cool temperatures for a couple days. They'll just say, well, there, there's proof right there. And that's just one. When they're talking about the over preponderance of that evidence, why does that happen? Why do I mean you have to? You really have to seek that confirmation because it would destroy your view of the world. You'd have this these factors that go in. It's uh, added your attitude polarization that you take this thing. All you know, you you might say something about a specific. Uh, a specific group of people and you may have hard feelings against them right your attitude polarization they're all bad and the only people that are going straight are people like you and that think like you so you lock into that attitude polarization you share the same information the same viewpoint you filter out all the bad information that counters your argument. And then you have belief perseverance. Though even though we know that, let's say after the Civil War, black people are just as intelligent and had the same abilities as the people that thought slavery was the right thing to do and that they wanted to consider him part human knowing they were fully capable but to this day they have the thing called belief perseverance even though you have all the information out there you will just that belief system you can't change it's like a crazy religious cult oh yeah I have rocks I have magic rocks I put them in the bottom of my hat I see these invisible golden plates and I'll translate them to you. Uh, read them off. Okay? Religions. I pick, sorry for picking on Mormons, but a lot of religion, a religion is, kind of falls into that. And if you're religious, you should not be listening to this. You should be listening to something like the, the, the Catechism Hour on Vatican Radio or something like that. And then you have irrational primacy effect. And that's a greater reliance on information that was encountered 
earlier in your belief system. So everything, the information you gained early that was refuted is still held as a fact. And it supports your argument. And you ignore all the newer information, all the thing that rebuts that. And then you have something called an illusory correlation. And that's falsely perceiving an association between events and situations that aren't. There's a guy I know. He's an older man. He's a musician down here. When I say older, he's in his 70s. He's a flat earther. And locals, maybe one or two of my listeners will know who this is. And his explanation, one of his explanations on why the earth is flat is to say you would take a basketball and you pour water on it. The water runs off the sides. Ignoring all that thing about gravity and atmosphere and surface cohesion and all that stuff. That the only real direction is towards the center of your gravitational pull. And that's why, whether you're on this point of the planet or on the other side of the planet, you're still, the force of gravity is still pointing to the center, which they do not accept. They need a basic correlation. They, they pick the basketball in the water and say, well, see how water runs over the side of the basketball? That's almost, that's just like the, the weighing of a witch with a duck and seeing if the witch is heavier than a duck and the witch floats and the duck floats, then the witch must be doing something. It must be magic. It must be witchcraft. Right? But that's not, that's not how, you have an inconclusive or an incomplete understanding of physics and science. And there's a bunch of different cognitive biases that you have out there. There's one, the first one, I don't have a bias. Like I had with the Dallas Cowboys, right? An inordinate dislike of the Dallas Cowboys. And I get into arguments with people over that, even though I wasn't into that much into football, because I dislike the Cowboys that much. You know what? There's nothing wrong with the Cowboys. And I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. I just recognize right now that I did have a bias. And then the other one you may have is my bias is kinder, better, smarter, more mainstream. And then you have a confirmation bias where you're only getting the information from the channels that support your arguments. So if your racist uncle is a source of your information, he's going to confirm all of it. And it's kind of funny with the guy I was talking about who's a musician down here, and he's saying shit about our current president and not saying something about the former president. And people that are believers in the former president, they're laughing at him and stuff like that. And they say, oh, you guys have a lot in common, right? And yeah, yeah. Hey, Jimmy, tell him the rest of your beliefs about the flat earth and all this other stuff and about Michelle Obama being a man. That's, you know, all that stuff. And, and, uh, and someone, the pedophile, 
pedophilia stuff and the pizza shops, all this crazy stuff. And people surround themselves with people that have these similar views. You see that the rallies, the Trump rallies and all these things. And you know I'm always going to turn political. I don't, I don't have a bias against people. I don't. And I realize a lot of times they're like me, but they're just not open to the possibility that they are biased and they're getting their information from bias. If they can't look at another source and automatically not shoot it down, let's say not shoot it down, I'm not going to listen to this shit because it's bullshit, right? Once, once you sit down and listen to there was a guy, um, what was it, William Sapphire? Was William a conservative? But F. Lee, uh, William F. Buckley, a conservative in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. I think he lasted until maybe 1990. But he was, a, he was very erudite, well-read, well-written, and a deep thinker. And he held some very conservative ideas. But he could always have a discussion with someone who had a dissimilar view that he had. And he always thought that if your case did not hold water, then the merits lie in the way you present your case and what, what's the basis for the case. And a lot of times, the, the progressive argument falls apart when it goes too far, when those biases go too far the other way. And I always said, the people in the middle, like me, we're always the victims in the revolutions. You know that? You can't, you can't it's hard to be in the middle, and you, you know, it's hard to say, I don't want to discuss, but I'm tired of this stuff, and I want, well, they're going to, someone's going to fucking make a decision for you. Someone's going to make a decision, and just people with hard feelings on the left and the right, they're going to make the decisions for you. You know, when the Tea Party came out, and I'm sorry, the most recent iteration of the Tea Party, there was another party came out, and I'm, it's a shame it didn't take hold of the Coffee Party. And they were supposed to be kind of moderate progressive, saying the middle road, right? Not the extreme ends. Well, all throughout history, whether it was the French Revolution or the Russian Revolution, or the people, let's say, even the German Revolution, if you consider precursor, the rise of Hitler as a German Revolution, there were conservative moderates. And Hindenburg, a general, a German general, was one of the, I think, what do they call Chancellor of Germany prior to Hitler. And he was conservative. But he wasn't conservative enough. And the people that weren't conservative enough, the Nazis or people that weren't communist enough um, under Lenin, they were they were done away with, imprisoned, sometimes murdered. Same thing in the French Revolution. That's the reason why sometimes people, extremists, try to do the most extreme act they can because there's no way of turning back. 
So when he got a hold of the king during the French Revolution, they killed him right away. You know why? There was no danger of the king coming back into power. The monarchy could come back to power, but it would not come to uh, power with that king, King Louis, who was decapitated by guillotine, I think. And all these things, I imagine these people with the extremists hold these beliefs because they, they don't want to consider their opinions. And that's the reason why we have very little bipartisanship. When it happens, someone slips in there, slips in some language that gets someone angry. When you start seeing inklings of it. Recently, last week, or this week, uh, President Biden came down to Florida. He was in Miami for the building, the condo collapse. And he was sitting at a table with uh, DeSantis a follower of the uh, of the former president Trump and they had a civil conversation next to each other without having the ridicule, any the ridicule or any of the language that would be classified as partisan they understood that there was a, a small glimpse of what bipartisanship's about during the early 80s and mid-80s, Tip O'Neill, a Democrat from Massachusetts, was the Speaker of the House of Representatives, and, and Reagan was president. And work, they worked together a lot. They were able to have conversations together. And they were able to generate some policy and govern with a divided government. Nowadays, we don't see that as much. But we do have proof that bipartisanship does work by our interpersonal relationships. I'm sure there's many people that think like me that have friends that think Trump is a a wonderful man. And you get along fine with them. Obviously, you don't get along fine with when you talk about the politics and stuff like that. But some people decide and they say, listen, this is my view. But this is my personal relationship. And if you can hold those views and you can understand and you can work with that person, you say, well, this is a good person. And they're going to do the best thing in their eyes for the, let's say, for our families, our community, our business, whatever. then it works. But being able to break through is, is, is very hard. And it's just like telling someone uh, they're an alcoholic or a racist or anything like that or anti-Semitic. The only real change occurs when that one person sees, that person sees it in themselves. When there's a crisis, when there's a bottom hit, and they decide, it's said, well, I had enough of this. They could go one way or the other. They can go completely bonkers and then that's enjoy, join the Proud Boys and Three Percenters and storm the Capitol building. Or they can just say, hey, you know, that was a noise. 
I don't need to go along with it anymore. And it happens all the time. It happens all the time. It happens in religion. When people leave religions, they finally get fed up and they go, this is ridiculous. This bullshit. When you have these guys caught up when they're stealing from their the church funds, buying themselves, and you you have no problem following an idea. And it's I'm gonna pick on Christians right now. Jesus, whose whole all the testaments that Jesus talked about loving your fellow man, loving the stranger, being kind to poor people, not to be judgmental. You know, who am I to judge? And the, the, Let he without sin cast the first stone. Some of the most fucking judgmental people are Christians. They follow the most, one of the most non-judgmental belief systems. How is that possible? Confirmation bias. They built up a theology. That's where theology is separate from spirit. Uh, spiritual uh, spirituality. That's the reason why I'm not a real big believer in it. When the when the bishops of the United States were trying to decide whether they were going to give our president communion, because he decided he was president of all the United States, not just the Catholic part of the United States. That's another time I. It was my understanding that they were biased. And now there's some bishops and the Pope themselves say, we do not involve ourselves with temporal things. Even though abortion or choice or whatever you want to call it is a, is a spiritual and religious issue some way, it's also a temporal one. And we make heavy, and we take note of Iran being run by a mullah, right? A sheikh or whatever, an ayatollah. That's an ayatollah. The Shiites run the ayatollah. We, we make a point of it and say, do you want Sharia law? Or do we want Sharia law? Or do whatever law you want to call it in the Christian one where you can't do the thing that some Christian cleric decides not you're, you're not supposed to do. Because that, my friend, is a load of bullshit. Where the laws are going to be dictated that way. And if that gets you angry, you shouldn't be listening to this show because I curse too much. So, because you don't believe in that. But you do believe in it's all right to throw a young mother with babies, you know, leave them on the border without any help. You do believe that. But you have a hard time with me saying fuck. Okay. We know. We know. Maybe you got to... You, you're not listening to me right now. I understand that. You shouldn't be listening. Because you're going to be listening to some you know, 700 Club or whatever they have on television nowadays. But that's all I have to say there. You're going to be moving in your groups. And the groups that you're in, it's going to confirm whatever bias you have. And you're going to talk to yourself that everybody else is stupid. And you're going to have some theories about it. wonder why. Why are all my friends that are not vaccinated sick right now? Oh, they got some kind of thing in their lungs and stuff like that. Well, I don't know what it is. Oh, okay. Confirmation bias. 
cognitive di- dissonance. That is what you're 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 dwelling in. That you're ignoring evidence. Thank you for listening to the show. If you do like the show, please become a friend of the Keys Bartender on Facebook, Keys Bartender on Twitter, Keys Bartender on Instagram. If you have any questions, send your email Jim keysbartender.com. That's me, Jim at keysbartender.com. Yes, I bought the domain name keysbartender.com. I had someone who was on the show not too long ago and they said, oh, I always thought the name of your show was Jim the Bartender. No, it's not. I always introduce myself at the beginning, Keys Bartender, and at the end, Keys Bartender. Um, sometimes you hear the Keys Bartender or just Keys Bartender, but it's still Keys Bartender. I mean, how hard is that? Eventually, I'm thinking about becoming old Keys Bartender because I guess when I hit 60, I'll be old Keys Bartender. But then again, who knows? Maybe I'm middle-aged. If, they act, if people live up to 120 on a regular basis, that means 60 is middle and old age. And old age would have to be like 20, 20 years further, like 80. Who knows? I'm pushing for that. But I don't want to have a cognitive bias against it. Well, once again, thank you for listening. This is Jim the Keys Bartender signing off. Have a great and safe July 4th weekend. Don't drink and use fireworks. Come on, I don't want to, well, I'm going to invest in a company for eye patches and fake hands, okay? Or prosthetic hands, that's probably the thing. Prosthetic eyes and prosthetic hands, because they always see a peak right after the 4th of July, at least here in the United States. Thank you very much and have a great day. Bye. Let's put the music on.